Ladies, gents, and beyond, it is time to tune up the band and get angry at a certain man named Paul, one storyline after the other. Yes, it is the Sweet Chin Rag Podcast, the inaugural episode. I am your co-host Sam, and joining me on this adventure through the weird, wacky world of professional wrestling is my other co-hosts, Dan and Reardon. Ooh, let's get ready. Let's do this. Covering <laughs> time. Right, so before we get into the main bulk of our first episode, uh, I kind of wanted to chat and do a little bit of, uh, of uh, explaining and uh, talking about our week in the world of wrestling. So we are giving to you Oh, we are giving this podcast to you free of charge through the lovely uh, streaming sites of iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever you get, wherever you get your podcast fix. Um, yep. And yes, we let's talk about our week in the world of professional wrestling. So we're recording this just after Money in the Bank has been done and Raw has happened. Gents, thoughts, feelings... To take a quote from Reardon. Feelings because I didn't watch it. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what it was. I I knew from the, from the beginning that this is going to be one of those ones where I'm going to be watching clips. I know mm. things on it. I know that um, Rey Mysterio is canonically dead, as well as Alistair Black. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Baron Corbin committed a double murder. Like, okay. Rey Mysterio, I get, considering, like, he has a knack for dying. <laughs> <laughs> like, when you think about it, like, Ray, like, Eddie Guerrero, may he rest in peace, killed Rey Mysterio repeatedly. Great Ali <laughs> broke his damn head. Oh, man. Um... So what you're saying is there's precedent there. <laughs> there is there is precedent, but Alistair Black? Really? That's a... yeah. It wasn't. It was an interesting one. Although to be fair, you could say that about the entire Money in the Bank pay per view this year. So, <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. Rey Mysterio had a rough forty-eight hours. I mean, di- dying and then having his eye gouged out the next night. I mean, it's that's that's just rough for any any person in particular. But for Rey, it you just know. seems like Rey Mysterio is is just like the proverbial punching bag for people to just get their anger out. Like that's what I think sadly that's that's what it's looking like. <laughs> when you're a short boy with a bunch of muscle, very athletic people, you, you tend to you tend to get hit a lot. Uh still won't change the fact that Ray Ray's still has been and will always be one of my favourites. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's changing it anytime soon for me. Like, yeah, no, like he is one of my one of my guys. So fun to play in video games, let me tell you. <laughs> ah, absolutely yeah. freaking lootly. Like, I will I will probably defend Rey Mysterio to the hill and back, and especially considering, like, I think his... I still hold his WCW run in such high regard. And even though I would say, kind of like, his WWE run is better, you have, I think, for a lot of people that are casual fans, you have a much greater respect for him once you start watching his WCW run, and in particular the yeah. 97 Halloween Havoc match he had with Eddie Guerrero, which is so, like, red- readily accessible on YouTube. <laughs> he was just so fast. How did the man move that quickly? 
Uh, just still though, as as one as two lives have gone, one seems to be coming in with Becky Lynch's pregnancy announcement hey! transition. I know. <laughs> that is uh, and obviously Oscar getting the uh, Raw Women's Championship, I believe. Yes. Looks like some kind of weird wrestling blood sacrifice to give the child strength. <laughs> Look, I don't, I, I, I cannot necessarily confirm or deny whether or not Baron Corbin had any involvement in that, but. Oh what? <laughs> seeming, seeming, seeing, seeing as two people have died, and then following the announce, the announcement of a pregnancy. I mean, I can only assume they may be possibly somehow related through some kind of WWE magic. It was a truly, truly, it was a good harvest this year. <laughs> <laughs> Still though, I mean, obviously we had to give our congratulations, and um, it's uh, maybe a quite weird feeling, especially considering how much they have, you know, pushed her and given her the big spotlight. But the spotlight is going to Oscar now, and I'm really excited to see what she'll do with a championship run. I really think she deserves it. Yeah, uh, and out of all the people, I think it's probably the best result they probably could have had out of it. Absolutely. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Like, I always enjoy seeing Asuka doing well because Asuka is Asuka and Asuka is the best. I am. And, so... and to be fair, her reaction at the, yes. the announcement was incredible. That is one of the most, like, truly, like, heartwarming moments was that reaction. Uh, not to, to not only winning the championship, but to also realizing that her best friend is becoming a mother. And it's just like you saw that moment where it's just like screw storyline and the um the perceived world we see that was i feel like a true mo that was a true moment between two friends yeah I yeah it was it was a, it was a fantastic moment also like that child is going to have some cool some real serious godmothers <laughs> like <laughs> you know, auntie oscar oh my god auntie Os auntie's oscar and Kyrie. <laughs> And and the godmother Paige here. <laughs> <laughs> It'd probably be Charlotte, actually. <laughs> oh oh man, the the god the godparents of the four horsewomen. Well, the three horsewomen, I should say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, oh man, just I, such a bloody good moment in the sea of so much uncertainty in pro wrestling and the, the questionable nature of WWE as of right now. That was that was a good moment to have. Yeah. And I can't fault Vince on that one. But we can fault oh. Vince on many other things, which is why I am so excited for future episodes of this podcast. Yep. I think it's why we're here, isn't it? <laughs> oh. We're just this is this isn't a podcast, this is a support group. <laughs> <laughs> and we just and we just decided to just press record and see yeah. if other people This is us airing our grievances. Yeah. And believe me. We all have our many grievances. I mean, to, I mean, to be to be fair, to to give a bit of background to this podcast, even forming, I think it it started from us airing our grievances over Vince McMahon on a on a Discord server. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we basically took over a Discord server. They made a, a little bit. For well, it was an area for sports, which was basically originally just me and Sam. I think. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then it just gradually evolved out, and now and now it's become this, <laughs> this monstrosity, meager yeah. beginnings, but just so 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 worth it. We, we, well, we shall see once we get that from, sweet from sweet the, yeah. sponsorship money coming. Yeah. In. 
from the Discord server to Orpington Wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> For the dozens and dozens of fans in Orpington. Hey, look, I'm not saying we should get top billing, but, you know. I'm just, we will I'm, have yeah. open reign of... <laughs> <laughs> speaking of... Speaking of raids, let us get straight into episode one. Lovingly titled Triple H and the Reign of Terror, volume one. Yes, we are splitting this into two episodes. We are starting with the 2002 to 2003 stint of the Reign of Terror. Now, nice, we're doing it twice. (laughs) We are doing it twice. So, before I get on, I actually want to send out a couple of thanks in terms of my researching for this. I want actually want to thank everyone on the Squared Circle Reddit for kind of compiling every little bit of information they had on the Reign of Terror and most people's opinions, which is seemingly universal from what I saw. And a special thanks to Brian Zane as well for his video on the Reign of Terror on Wrestling With Regret course if anyone is on the internet and is a wrestling fan they most likely know brian zane so brian thank you so much for putting that video out it's made my job a lot easier uh compiling and researching and doing a comprehensive timeline on the reign of terror so most people when they kick off would start at september of 2002 yeah because uh, it's because you know that was the that would be the month you know where he got given the WHC, but I'm jumping ahead of myself. I want to start in January of 2002. More specifically, let us start at, on the first Raw of 2002, Madison Square Garden. The big one, of course, one of the biggest atmospheres WWE will ever have is in that arena. Oh yeah, and the announcement that Triple H is returning to the WWF from his knee injury that ruled him out of the entire invasion angle. He got lucky. He got lucky. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, lucky! So, before we like get into this, his grand return, his grand <laughs> entrance, we should probably talk about like just a basic. What do we think? about triple h and who wants to start like i have my thoughts as yeah i definitely know that you have your thoughts i guess we'll start with mine (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we'll leave your we'll leave yours to last uh i mean triple h is a character i've always been very kind of conflicted about i think as i've gotten older as a wrestling fan i've definitely fallen out of love with him more Mm. Uh, definitely when i was younger i really liked him um and now i'm older and seeing a bit of the weirdness about like the whole stuff with dx and yet him also being part of the authority which don't quite line up to me but we're gonna move past that um that's just how my brain's thinking about it um i mean the thing is like like, i think it's wrong for us to kind of deny his ability (laughs) yeah no Mm. that's such the um to it but that's the the, i think the major frustrating issue oh trust me it's all because like i think i think part of what got us to the point we're going to discuss about this reign of terror is that he was very good at what he does and to Mm. be fair he still is um in comparison to a lot of people who are kind of like him and maybe make make the transition to more occasional appearances um but like yeah like he he is 
he is and was very good at what he did and could stand there with the best of them and that's exactly why he kind of got towards this grandiose place mm. but it doesn't come without its issues absolutely and, um mm. and so i mean the big one a lot of people will throw around is that he is kind of part of the establishment it's kind it's... of this this nepotist this nepotism feeling that because he is the son-in-law the head of the company yeah. that maybe that's why he gets to where he is yeah I, um like, with that bit like like i don't think we'll probably i probably won't like we probably won't get a chance to touch on it so it's but as well i might as well mention it really quickly um one of the best videos ever on wrestling is a uh, wrestling isn't wrestling by a noted piece of shit max landis let's let's <laughs> like, i'm gonna make this quick very for like he's a really bad person, but he has done like three things that I have loved, and I find myself having to really like a big asterisk. He's a piece of shit. <laughs> Is that can that be considered slander or libel? We will never know. But these are the opinions of Ridden Tyson and not of the Sweet Chin Web Podcast. I'm kidding. Yeah, <laughs> but he's kind of he's from everything we've heard. He's kind of a bad dude. However. He has done, um, he did help with Mick Chronicle, a very good movie, which I really like. Superman American Alien, which is honestly one of the best Superman things mm. of the modern which is weird as hell. And also Wrestling Isn't Wrestling, mm. which is basically, if for those who haven't seen it, is basically an analysis of Triple H, the character, as a character, and... The thing that pops up is that for someone who has always tried to in, to give the impression of there being this rule-breaking, true, rebellious character, he is a firm, firm establishment stooge. <laughs> that is... Yeah, so that, that's kind of always been the thing. So I said about the, the, the weird disconnect I had getting older and seeing that there's a guy who's in a group that's like their entire thing it's like we don't do what everyone else says and you can tell the establishment to suck it and then i see here and i'm like wait aren't you the coo now (laughs) (laughs) but um yeah but like i said so he's a person that i think in one in one hand i very much revere as one of the greats of the wrestling world and on the other hand i kind of has this a kind of poison chalice position, if you will. Mm. I share like that exact same opinion of Triple H. It's it's one of a it's one of conflict really. Is that I can I can totally respect the man, and you know, in the in the the era of where you had Austin, Rock, Angle, Jericho, and himself, and the Undertaker, you know, he stood out as one of the premier heels. He was the heel of that company uh, for the longest time. I played foil to Austin and Rock uh, and Jericho uh, in that time. Um, but it's that same thing. It's just like when you, later in life, you come to realise that, oh, blimey, he really is a company man through and through. And that's kind of much the detriment. Oh, I, I would say even much to the detriment of he, himself. Like, I, I feel like Triple H, he didn't need to kind of 
be that company, man. He could have been the monster heel. I mean, I know there's a lot of people that say, oh, he just wanted to be the number one guy. He wanted to be the face of the WWE. But who who could topple Austin and Rock? Let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> um, Triple H, I still think, yeah, he, 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 he doesn't have to prove or try and make his way up to think that he's the guy, one of those guys. He definitely is because he stood on his own and was the perfect foil for them. But I feel like sometimes that he wanted to be more than that in a sense. Oh, man. That's such a very true statement. Such true. Oh, man. Okay. Is it my turn now? Is it yes, my... it's your turn <laughs> now. It is your turn, really. Should I brace my ears and turn my volume down? Or... No, 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 no. We'll get to that. <laughs> this is this is just me on this level. All right. So I'm going to be jumping around a lot of thoughts with this. So, But I will start off with completely agree with all of you guys um as something that will probably pop up in this podcast out of the three of us i am the most presented lover when i'm i'm a guy who really loves presentation when it comes to wrestlers and what their look what's their angle what is their what's their gimmick essentially and a guy who was always focused more on that less than the athletic side triple h by all rights should be one of if not my absolute favorite wrestler of all time because say what you like about the guy the guy knows how to present an image holy shit <laughs> he knows how to make an entrance his entrance is probably one of the best entrances of any wrestler of any era period yeah Depends whether or not he makes it last 10 minutes or not. <laughs> Even when it's like 10 goddamn minutes, I find myself like, it's too long, but goddamn it, I love it. I just can't help myself. Everything about it. Everything about how he looks, how he acts, his his finishing mood, everything. I should love him, but I can't. Because of everything that we've <laughs> And, you know, it's funny, like, it's funny... I, for some reason, when I was like going back in preparation for this, thinking about my thoughts about Triple H, the Rain Terror, and everything, I kept thinking about. I feel like Triple H is the victim of three things in his career. One is is himself, definitely. Yeah. The other is Vincent Kennedy McMahon, definitely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> third one is the lo- the locker room mentality of his time yes i think it's those three things colliding in this perfect storm made what the reign of terror was at that time because like with um john cena there's like with the bray wyatt match the firefight funhouse match it was a great match loved it i wouldn't recommend it for like the for like people starting out if you're listening to this podcast and you're just starting out in wrestling i recommend you don't watch that first because that's kind of like wrestling on hard mode <laughs> like you kind of have to really know a little bit but there's this um there was a line before and during the match about how john cena was the most overhyped, overvalued, overprivileged WWE superstar. It's a great line. Hmm. You could make an argument for it. Yeah. When I was looking at it, like thinking about it, I never really 
thought it was true. Like, like it's true to an extent, but not entirely true. It's a real... yeah. I mean, I mean, the mm. the John Cena thing is a is a difficult one because it's easy to say that mm. you know he has been handed everything. Yeah, you know, he is he is he is the bit he what for such a long time he was the big draw, and I may be yeah. saying this in this way now, mm. you know. WWE is trying to again recreate that, that kind of figure, and they and they have got people who are yeah. well within that range. Yeah, yeah. Um, really, yeah. But like, like you buy it in the storyline, you buy it that that's what they're going for, and yeah, it, and it works. But he's not that. Honest to God, I think Triple H is that. Mm. Triple H to me is like John Cena is I've said this before to you guys John Cena is what the WWE wants to believe it is as a whole <laughs> this larger than life but generally good and nice company Triple H is I think the personification of the WWE especially these days mm. it's, it's clawing need to be on top at all costs, no matter fucking what. And I feel like um, he is um where this idea of there being the one guy that's going to carry the company falls completely flat. Yeah. It's a, you know, and it's like, like a very, very quick tangent, but I've like found myself... You ever find yourself kind of like, have you ever stopped and thought about this idea, this concept of there has to be this one big guy in every era that carries the entire the entire company for that for his run to be kind of fucking stupid and kind of <laughs> Well, yeah, because it, it's 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 a thing that we kind of mentioned, at least in a lot of the planning talks in the time when we're talking between each other. That mm. um you know, it, it's kind of annoying that there becomes this mentality that there has to be that one person on top because it often is done so much to the detriment of other people who are really talented yeah and, and, and jeff maybe... jarrett <laughs> all right no, I, I i kid but you know jeff jarrett's highly overrated <laughs> yeah about it is that if you're thinking about this in terms of like an amusement park which is kind of what the wwe is it's still that carny kind of thing there's a like it's like it basically boils down to this. Obviously, there's going to be a main attraction. Mm. But that's not what the WWE wants. The WWE doesn't want a main attraction. It wants an only attraction. The only thing that people will get, will come and watch their shows for. Which is stupid, because inevitably, when you can't have that attraction, it all falls to pieces. And it keeps happening like clockwork. Well, yeah, because it's a thing that we mentioned, I believe, in our um, introductory episode. Mm. Um, but that the WWE has a recurring problem with people they don't want to get over getting over with fans. <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> It's such a non-problem. <laughs> and, it, and it's it's a thing that um, I saw recently in some commentary videos on AEW, All Elite Wrestling, which is another promotion that's running currently. 
uh, as of the recording of this podcast. Um, but uh, there was a really good video about it. I'm annoyed that I can't remember the name of the person who made it. Um, I'll have to find out and mention it at some point if we ever get to referencing it again. Um, but it is about how um, AEW have this thing now where they're just kind of letting other people just build up and become stars on their own merit. They're not trying to really push anyone. It's the people that are getting over are the people that are getting over and they're working on that. Yeah. And I think that's the men I think that should just be the default mentality. I don't know why it should be a thing that needs a necessary commentary video. Yeah. I and mean... it just seems so weird to have seen so many, you know, people and gimmicks that fans have just loved get put completely in the dust. But just because of this this weird need for there to be this one guy. And Triple H obviously wanted to be that one guy. Yeah. Used every influence he had to do so. And he and of course Vince McMahon wanted him to be the guy, so he let him do it. But it's also it was also that locker room mentality, which I wonder I often want to talk to some of those some of the older wrestlers about like how are you meant to work in that kind of environment mm. environment of, like like there is like you can like wrestle with these people but in the end there's only going to be one guy in this locker room that matters and it's got to be me right because i've got to put food on the table i've got to succeed it's yeah just... i definitely think it's a thing that's um especially interesting um again i've mentioned it I believe again in the introductory episode. Watch that introductory. Um, episode. It's very, it's very good, it's very important. <laughs> um, in re- in regard in regards to um, why a lot of the locker room hold the Undertaker in such high regard, uh, is that he, as a as a member of talent, was, uh, as I've heard, incredibly selfless. Yeah. Um, mm. At least in at least in in wrestling terms, in that he was willing to put anyone over and if you um wwe have done their last ride documentary about the undertaker uh very much worth a watch mm. um but um and how he was upset that his match that was due to be his last one with roman reigns he felt it wasn't good enough mm. and felt he said he feels bad for roman that was the match that defined him and that that was the roman's win over the undertaker it didn't have the same level of mystique over it yeah Mm. and i think it really shows how exemplary that is but you would get the feeling that that should just kind of be the norm that everyone should be trying to make everyone better yeah but it often wasn't at that time it isn't and not least especially during january 2000 well january that 2002 period i was about to say january 2002 but that would just be direct segueing back but nice Segway, but you know that 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 time around that time. But yeah, but to make basically to make a long story short, I think Triple H at that time, especially, is the pinnacle of all of that becoming a serious problem to the detriment of literally everyone. That's the worst part. And yeah, and that's the common factor we're gonna get into throughout this entire retrospective throughout both episodes. Um, you start to see a common friend Fred happening quite a lot, even before uh, the the reign of terror. 
started. Um, so where were we? Yes, January 2002, that return. Um, I can still remember. I don't know if you guys watched it live as, but I can still remember the, the pop he got when his music hit and he came out. Like, I think he spent like six minutes before he even like grabbed the mic just just doing the entrance alone um yeah. it was insane it's it's I, it's insane to think you know with hindsight that that what we know now he got that kind of reception i mean yeah it's definitely one of those cases where looking back on it it's uh very different than like the context of the time <laughs> mm. You know, it's funny. It's really funny looking at the looking at crowds of that time. Was it like, like a lot of it was like they were just in full capacity crowd. Yeah. But I do wonder, like, is that like a stadium thing? Like, have the stadium kind of layouts changed? Because I don't think you get that packed crowds anywhere. It is weird. Thing. It is a weird thing. I think I, I. I guess unless you've been to a to a show then and a show now, you would definitely know know the difference. But in mm. terms of TV, like, like what, what what can you believe? Because you know the production crew, you know, like to turn things down or turn things up or you know yep. edit in sound and stuff like that. But you know, that's a whole different can of worms <laughs> of the grand scheme of things. But yes, um, he announces his entry into the Royal Rumble. You know, Kurt Angle comes down, tries to cut him off. And, you know, I'm not going to go deep into detail of, like, the whole timeline. So don't worry, we're not going to be here for four hours. But the rest of January goes as simple. You know, Triple H is having matches here and there. He enters, I believe, at number 30. I want to say that. Uh, but I'm not I, think it was num- I think it was number 30. And goes on to win. Awesome, brilliant. I'm not going to go into No Way Out 2002 because it was nothing. It was just like throwaway. We're going to go straight into March. And oh, yeah. Triple H. That was, <laughs> if I remember right, No Way Out 2002, the debut of the NWO. Oh my god. You yeah. know what? I think it was. It was the it yeah, was the NWO. Yeah, they, did, they, they did the shtick where like NWO, New World Water, No Way Out. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. You can't. Obviously, we don't have uh, video here, but you can see that my hand is firmly in the palm, <laughs> and know, my head is straight in my face. <laughs> a little. Uh... Oh, great! Now I'm remembering. Now I'm remembering that um, sting match. Let's let's let 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 let's not talk about. Let's not talk about that. Much. <laughs> God, man. Right, March two thousand and two. <clears throat> Triple H has won the Undisputed Championship at the main event of Mania 18. Can you believe that match was the actual main event and not Rock versus Hogan? That's yes. Mad. Yes. That's, that's that, is, that is prime WWE booking. <laughs> it's... Like, with that, I, I get it. I get why they do it. It's a normal thing that, like, you have those kind of matches in the middle. But it's... <laughs> Weird as hell. Like they did it with like with Shawn Michaels, Ric Flair, for God's sake. <laughs> yeah, it was that thing. I watched it back uh, earlier in the week, and I was like, you know what? That was a bloody good match. It's just a bloody shame it had to go on after Hogan versus Rock. Yeah, 
Oh, and it's that it's that it's that curse. It's just what happens. So, like, I will be fair to the WWE. Those me being fair to the WWE at this point will be few and far between. So, <laughs> this is why I decided to start at January and not at September. Because yeah. goodness, we have got a lot to unpack before that. Um, and I think it was the night after Mania. I want to say the night after Mania. Uh, Triple H receives the new undisputed championship belt. Which, my, may I add, and I put it in the notes that I have, that was the best WWE Championship uh, design. Like, the Undisputed okay, title right, belt getting, was we're getting, so We're good. getting into that now. We're getting into that now. Can we please skip past this before we start oh. getting into another deeper argument? Right, <laughs> right. We're going, we're, we're, right, future episode, our favourite title belts. That is happening. All right, then. <laughs> WWE European Championship. Let's go. <laughs> You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. No, 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 no. don't crucify me. <laughs> okay. Life. Spin a belt for life. Oh no. I'm st- <laughs> I am moving straight on. Um <laughs> and uh, from that he starts a feud with Big Evil Undertaker. If you remember his whole shtick at that time was demanding respect from the other wrestlers, which I liked Big Evil Undertaker, if you ask me. I don't care what anyone says. Um Skip to April. Um, oh boy. Um, he drops the title to Hollywood Hulk Hogan at Backlash. It's weird to think that. Is it weird that Hogan is wrestle that Hogan was wrestling at that point? I. It's only now, as I'm older, that I kind of think it's weird as hell that he was wrestling in the 2000s. For God's sake. Albeit he was super over as well in his return. Like, oh, yeah. Super over. Yeah, he's Hulk Hogan. Of course. But it's still odd, right? <laughs> Just a little bit. I mean, considering, I like... I would have said it would have been my first choice, but, um, you know, <laughs> it, it worked. <laughs> and look, they were riding the wave of momentum he had. And it was weird, because Hogan, I felt like... Hogan was in a weird thing. He still kind of maintained his Hollywood Hogan um, persona, but was mm. slowly adding the Hulkster, the Hulkamania thing. So he was in this weird little flux period where it's kind of like we weren't even so sure of what Hogan was doing at the time. <laughs> but, you know, but he came out to Voodoo Child, which is his best theme. I don't care what anyone says. Voodoo Child was his best theme. I. I, 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 despite it being cheesy and very, very goddamn Reagan-y, I, I still like Real American. I just can't. <laughs> it shouldn't work. It shouldn't work for me, especially considering that every time they have to do the damn flag stuff with WrestleMania, I immediately like, let's get this over with. I find myself seeing real America despite me being not a real American. <laughs> when it comes crashing down and it hurts inside, Rhythm will always sing real American. Um, yeah. <laughs> can you believe at this time, after he lost that title, that uh, I completely forgot that Triple H was SmackDown exclusive yeah. at that time? Yeah, and start and kind of re, re restarted his rivalry with Jericho. Like they had a, like a mini feud blowout. Um, at that time 
Um, it's weird because it's like I I completely forgot. Oh yeah, after he lost the title, he went straight to SmackDown, didn't he? Bloody hell. Yeah, just I don't know how long it actually was in context, but he he was with them for a, a period of time. Mm. So I, he, I don't think it was tremendously long though. It wasn't it wasn't long at all. About a time, I swear. It was about a few months. Uh, which, uh, yeah, which you know, coming through the t- down the timeline of this, you'll find out it's like, oh, we didn't really spend long at all at SmackDown, <laughs> <laughs> and didn't make much of a difference, if I'm honest, because we will skip June 2002. He becomes number one contender f- to a newly minted champion in Undertaker, of course, and Judgment Day Undertaker defeat Hogan for the title, and their rivalry stemmed from Hogan stealing Taker's bike. Uh, think of that what you will. Uh, and this sets up King of the Ring 2002 the main event being Taker versus Triple H and is unsuccessful yeah it's at that time as well I want to bring into context that Brock Lesnar won the 2002 King of the Ring Brock Lesnar and his story is very important to all of this to setting this all up which you will find out later so in July, can you believe this was July 2002? We go to Eric Bischoff becoming the new general manager and brings okay. in his first yeah. decree was bringing in Triple H to Raw following Shawn Michaels and this little story of Shawn Michaels and NWO's desire to kind of bring him in as a member of the NWO. Yeah, that was weird as hell. Yeah, yeah. Because they kind of planted the seeds in at King of the Ring. And then slowly but surely, you were starting to see things of like Nash and and uh, and Michaels and X Park trying to convince him to join the NWO. I get the feeling they were probably trying to start like a second DX. Yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> but it didn't happen. Like you know, I believe that by that point DX had already existed. So yeah, also, I've just got to put the statements for the record. Eric Bischoff's theme is just the best. Let's, just best. let's not forget that his first actual theme was Back in Black. Yeah, it was, actually. He came out to Back in uh, Back in Black, if you remember that, Riordan. I did not remember that. Oh, hell. <laughs> yeah, hence why I'm Back what? sounds so much like Back in Black. Yeah. Oh. Oh, it's a, there was a lot of licensing going on at that time, wasn't there? Yeah, <laughs> just a tiny bit. Weird as hell, considering like Vince McMahon does not like licensing like re like non like wrestling in house music. Like he really doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, to be fair, we can mention the most infamous one from that time, which was when the Undertaker had Rolling by Limp Biscuit as his theme, which I still maintain as like. In, even in retrospect, I still weirdly love it. I, uh, yeah. I look. I appreciate that in the context of the Undertaker, it's so such a dumb creative decision, and I know that it's Limp Bizkit. But if it isn't just the most accurate summary of wrestling at that time, where the Undertaker has a fucking chopper and comes out to Limp Bizkit, I don't know what is. <laughs> You guys are not my priests, so we will not hear my. <laughs> yeah. Biscuit. Oh. Line. I draw the line. <laughs> oh man. No, I'm not. I'm not saying anything then. In that case, right? We're getting straight back into it. So, of course, that storyline of the payoff of that NWO storyline 
didn't work out considering they were disbanded pretty much soon after. If we all remember, Kevin Nash came back from injury and then tore his quad two seconds into a tag match. He tore his quad, came back, tore his quad again. And yeah, that that's... sounds right for Kevin Nash. Pretty much. So, uh, it was, I believe, it was a kind of couple of weeks after NWO were disbanded. DX is reformed. Or at least Triple H goes into the locker room with Shawn Michaels, tells him to put it on. And he looks into a bag and it's revealed that they it was a D-Generation X uh, shirt. And I remember I remember watching this episode. It's like, oh my god, DX is back. Triple H, Shawn Michaels. Oh my god, they were reforming uh, of DX. And they were doing all the shtick of uh, let's get ready to suck it and all that. Only oh, for betrayal. Triple H pedigrees HBK. Ah, and this, ladies and gents, is, if anything, this is probably one of the silver linings of this reign of terror was this long storied rivalry between Triple H and Shawn Michaels. Oh, yeah, definitely. Oh, that, that, that is always good. Like, real quick, should we get our thoughts on Degeneration X really out of the way really quickly? <laughs> quick fire. Reardon, go. Quick fire. I, I loved it at the time. I find myself getting more and more slightly embarrassed by it. It's an extremely product of its time, and the Hall of Fame thing went on for way too goddamn long. <laughs> Dan. <laughs> uh, I both love them and yet, in retrospect, have this weird, slight distaste of them because they're very much a product of their time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very attitude error for better or for goddamn worse. Me? NWO is better. Anyway. <laughs> oh, as a brief side note, hold tight, X Park, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Right. Which, all of this leads us with uh, Triple H pedigreeing HBK and attacking him. Leads us to August and SummerSlam 2002. HBK versus Triple H in an unsanctioned street fight. Thoughts and feelings on this match, if you guys... Um, I, I saw it, again, funny enough, day of. Uh, on the, um, I bought it on Sky Box Office because they had this match. Um, I don't know if you guys have actually watched the match all the way through. Uh, but if you have thoughts, feelings on this match, uh, I haven't actually. Or if I did, it must have been so long ago. It's been memory hole. <laughs> if you remember rightly, Shawn Michaels did the proper way to uh, wear uh, wear attire in a street fight, which was jeans and cowboy boots. Triple H decided to just wear his wrestling gear because, of course, he did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but honestly, I in the in the time like the span of time. Sean had been away from wrestling. It was like he almost picked it right back up and was so smooth in the ring. And he had like the perfect foil in Triple H in that match. Um, if you've read his autobiography, he will tell, he, he says and will always tell people that he was so nervous uh, doing that match because he had been out the ring for so long and didn't know if he still even could go the way he used to. Because this was a one-and-done deal. He wanted this one match, and that was it. He didn't want to come back on a full-time basis. Um, but sure enough, like the storytelling in this match was amazing. They both bled like... Uh, what was it that JR would always say? Stuffed pigs or stuck pigs? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Uh, 
and they were beaten by beaten like government mules each whipped like sledgehammers chairs tables all of that what i will say is this was oh man this was such a good match and what a way for Shawn michaels to come back after so long only the Shawn michaels is the only person who be, who has become better at finding jesus <laughs> <laughs> the in wrestling at least oh man yep yep i i can't say i can i can't i can't argue with that one except you know i don't know why jesus told him told sean to get that weird haircut he had at the time but i digress um but of course this one ends with Shawn michaels winning um what a way to start the rivalry as well with triple h attacking him after the bell with the sledgehammer on his back kind of laying him out and then everyone thought that was a one and done deal cool you know if we never see Shawn michaels again awesome he had an amazing match to you know uh, uh send him off send him off uh, but Vince loved it so much that he wanted him back. And sure enough, I think we got the best run Shawn Michaels had in his career. Better yeah, probably. Than, the one, than his previous one. Oh, it was just beautiful. Just beautiful. Just, I got nothing. I got no bad words to say about it. I really <laughs> I just, God, I loved seeing him work. I loved <laughs> Who blooming didn't? Why do you think we called this the Sweet Chinwag Podcast? <laughs> Yeah, look, Shawn Michaels, if by whatever damn reason you're listening to this, I want to shake your hand, sir. Just, <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man, I could gut about you, this guy, forever. Continue, please. <laughs> <laughs> so, on this same night in SummerSlam 2002, Brock Lesnar wins the Undisputed Championship from The Rock in one of the most dominating title changes in WWE history. Like, it was a one-sided affair, the way they booked this. I mean, this. to be fair, that is kind of Brock Lesnar's booking remit. <laughs> yeah, that is, Pretty that much. His squash matches. Except in this match, he did do more than just three German suplexes. Sorry, I have to say it. Hot take, if you want to call it a hot take. That's not... <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, it, it, I mean, he got beaten so bad that The Rock never turned for several years. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, that was, uh, th that all leads up to September 2002. And Brock Lesnar becoming SmackDown exclusive, taking the Undisputed title with him and officially becoming WWE champion. You know, it's only just now that... I just realized how kind of odd it is that Brock Lesnar is a raw staple now. When he was part of the SmackDown Six, yeah, it was—it's yeah. really weird. That's kind of, huh? <laughs> no, but, like, but you, you know, it's funny. I'm—I'm I'm still just—I'm just old enough that I remember when, like, being on a different brand was a very big deal. Hmm. Like the, like the concept of a like imagine remember when remember when the the, the raw and smackdown draft was a big deal Ooh, oh yeah rather interesting mm. those were the you things. know like the, the times when you got like an interbrand match on like a pay-per-view or whatever was like the was like a really big thing yeah like summer's oh, like oh sorry survivor series was a massive yeah. deal at that time like you said raw versus smackdown or smackdown versus raw yeah <laughs> 2006 was the best one don't at me 
<laughs> that no, no. we're talking about hot takes. That is a hot take. Don't at me. <laughs> okay, I'll throw my two cents in the ring and say my personal favorite wrestling game is WWE 2K14. There we go. That's a fair. That's not a choice. Hey, look, there's not but, even um, been a single mention of No Mercy, but you know, to each listen, their own. I say. Listen, yeah, I'm not saying. I'm not saying that SmackDown vs. Raw 2006 was the best wrestling game ever. It was the best SmackDown vs. Raw game. All right, before we go deep into that rabbit hole, yeah. and we get a load of angry comments. Yeah. September the 2nd, Monday Night Raw. This, uh, gents, ladies, gents, and beyond, we get to the infamous moment. The one that yep. started it all. Eric Bischoff awards the World Heavyweight Championship, represented as the WCW Big Gold Belt. Again, I will yep. say, uh, we're talking about belt, that is the best belt design ever made. Um, and it awards it to Triple H. Because um, Triple H at the time was number one contender for the Undisputed Championship, if I recall. I believe so. And of yeah. course, you know, when Brock went to SmackDown, that kind of squashed any chance Triple H had of the title. So rather than having a tournament or a match, Eric Bischoff just awards him the World Heavyweight Championship. <laughs> um, makes perfect sense. I don't know why you'd ever question it. I mean, given at this time as well, um, which lovely segues into the next part of September, Rob Van Dam was white hot at this time. He was so over at this time and probably was the shining light of the invasion angle. Like, he didn't have to work hard for it. He was over immediately with the WWE crowd. Yeah. Crowd absolutely loved him. And I think... When you look at him in in the context of um, like where he'd come from and what he was offering compared to other wrestlers, at least on um, Raw at the time, it was completely different. And I can see, I can kind of see why he was so over. He's just, uh, he's just a weird. He's kind of a when you look at him, he's actually a kind of a weird wrestler. <laughs> he's, a, he's a weird kind of almost ditto fighter of a wrestler. <laughs> he basically is what Jean-Claude Van Damme would have been if he had become a wrestler. Yep. That's actually very true. <laughs> yeah, I just, oh man, I loved Rob Van Damme. Oh, I loved him. Man. Loved pieces. Who, I mean, at that time when you were a kid, I was a, ma- again, I was a massive RVD fan. A lot of people loved Jeff Hardy. I loved RVD. Oh, I can't. I can't. That's like that's Sophie's choice. I can't. That is. I know. I know. I would have said I lent more towards Rob at that time, anyway. But talking of all this, Rob Van Dam, White Hot, was number one contender for the World Heavyweight Championship. Of course, you would have thought, oh, brilliant! They're putting him in the main event scene. Maybe, just maybe, he could win that title. In Unforgiven, (sighs) Triple H defeats Rob Van Dam to retain the World Heavyweight Championship with. A little help from someone called Ric Flair. This yep. started the relationship between Triple H and Flair. And uh, to quote Brian Zane, yes, the game and the dirtiest player in the game. Get it? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> it's, I'm not even going to say it anymore. Yeah. Because it gets worse. 
because we all lived we look when i did this i knew it was going to lead up to this point and i didn't want to talk about it but we're gonna have to if we all don't want to get context for how i want to yeah i'm gonna say how bad this time to be a wrestling fan was yeah, October. We'll, we'll briefly mention it. October 2002. Kane. Katie Vick. Uh, no. <sighs> yeah, we're immediately getting hey, to this but part. It's good, though. It's not like they'd ever mention it again in the future or anything. You know... Oh, for the love of God, let's not talk about that 25th anniversary thing. <laughs> oh, God. They I... mentioned it. Mentioned that? They mentioned it. Yes, they did. Look, right. But let's let's just take let's just take this approach, right? They always say like the sign of loving something is when you're able to pick flaws in it. <laughs> <laughs> this 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 is one of them. It's <sighs> when we talk about this as a dark time in terms of the reign of terror as a thing in itself. This was a low light in the collection of low lights. Oh yeah. Okay. Um. The, 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 there are some there are some particularly despicable moments that I'm sure uh, Sam will lovingly mention. Okay, but, less. But but <laughs> just prepare this yourself. This was this was the start of a time, uh, and we mentioned this before in uh, the introductory episode. Go watch it, by the way. Um, uh, when discussing this, that this was a time when even some of the most die-hard wrestling fans were debating giving up on it. And this was one of the many moments that I think universally, unilaterally across wrestling fans across the world who know of this moment would probably say it was one of the worst decisions in terms of storyline that they could have possibly made. Yeah. Apologies for anyone listening. So someone next door is using a circular saw. I think they hate this storyline so much that they just want to make as much noise as possible. That's understandable, to be honest. <laughs> mood, mood. <laughs> mood. Right, so... Oh, boy. All right, let me rephrase you guys with the cliff notes because I don't want to spend too much time. Actually, no, you're probably going to have to spend too much time on this because we've got to explain what the heck's happened. Right, Kane. Any amount of time is too much time. Yeah, exactly. Kane, Intercontinental Champ. It's quite simple. He is the Undertaker's in-universe, not in real life, in-universe. Is it half-brother or brother? Brother. Brother. I don't know what you're talking about in-universe. They are brothers. K-Fabe. 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 But no. Kane. For a guy who is... um, I think my opinion on Kane is quite simple. He is... Both he has he has been in some of the worst moments in wrestling history, and yet he's still kind of underrated because mm. the, because to 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 have to play as to be as good as the Undertaker is no mean feat. <sighs> the fact that he managed to do it and make everyone buy it. For twenty plus years, it deserve he deserves all the props he gets. I mean, this was the man who, you know, prior before the Kane gimmick had the Christmas creature, uh, Isaac Yankum DDS, and Fake yeah. Diesel. So I think the yeah. man was more than capable to be put up with a character as outlandish as 
Kane. Oh man. Right. Shall I just get on with this because it's like yeah, I just just we, we've got we've got we've got to cover it as much as we don't like to talk about it. This band aid. Let's do it. <laughs> oh, and actually, no, before I do go on, I did mention a wrestling term. So now, ladies and gentlemen, it is part of that show, time of the show where we go to Reardon and talk and go to Reardon's Pokedex of wrestling terms. Reardon, kayfabe. Kayfabe. Basically, the fourth wall. Everything <laughs> that happens in, in the ring and sometimes outside of it is actually happening. <laughs> the face and heel that is the good guy and bad guy actually hate each other and <laughs> like each other on twitter as is the modern <laughs> the modern <laughs> right now i know we had kayfabe in the introductory episode but i just wanted really to do that again because it's so good <laughs> uh okay kane at this time was intercontinental champion and got a chance to face triple h to uh unify both the world heavyweight and intercontinental championships so kind of like the champion versus champion thing, the ultimate challenge from WrestleMania six. Yep. Um, so the weeks leading to no mercy or leading up to no mercy, uh, triple H discovered that Kane had been in a car accident several years earlier and, um, killed his girlfriend in the process. Katie Vick. Oh, boy. Uh... Oh boy. All right. Triple H then claimed he murdered her and, um, and uh, I, I, you know, no, I'm not repeating what he said. I'm not repeating what he said. <laughs> it's, it's it's just something about the absurdity of the situation of talking about Kane in context of in universe, and then mentioning the words car accident next to it. <laughs> 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 now I think back on it, and I think about how Kane was sold, and then you hear Kane car accident. <laughs> Remind me, was it that like he was driving the car? Yes, he was yeah. driving the car. <laughs> Can you imagine Kane driving the car? I was like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I should have drunk water. Was it, was, it, was it was it Kane when they initially sold him? They said he came like when they like did like the thing of like hailing from, and they like sold him as being from hell itself or something. Yes, <laughs> I'm not. Maybe I know like Undertaker's Death Valley, but so I'm not sure. Yeah, <laughs> at least Death Valley is actually a real place. <laughs> but um, oh. I know, I know, it's just a thing that now he said it, and now I was just thinking like, wait, didn't they sell him as actually being a literal demon, and he was in a car accident? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, they did. They they really did. Yeah. Anyway, Kane, the literal demon, had a car accident with his girlfriend in it. <laughs> Also, Kane went on a date to get a girlfriend. Yeah. A cheerleader. Who, who, a cheerleader, who, may who, I add. At this point, correct me if I'm wrong here, but was she ever even mentioned at any point? Or was it ever even addressed before this storyline? No. No. Because I, <laughs> I still remember, and, and that's perfect leading into this. I remember live as watching Monday Night Raw and everyone in that crowd not reacting at all. It was sheer confusion from everyone in the arena, everyone watching, and hell, I will even say it probably the entire locker room and production crew were so damn confused as to what Triple H was doing <laughs> and saying at that point. 
because it kill it, at that moment it kind of almost in a, in a sense well if it weren't for the Kane and Rooney and the flipping Canaanites thing that kind of almost in a sense almost killed the illusion of Kane <laughs> in the sense that he had a girlfriend what you think Paul Barra set that up like I like <laughs> I know that I despite it being something that people never speak of it just raises so many fascinating questions I kind of want to know like like what like what was their first date like <laughs> You know what? I don't think they gave much thought to it. I mean, shock and horror. I don't even think creative yeah, gave much say, thought. Yeah, I was going to say, I think, like, I think, I don't think that's a surprise to anyone that was ever involved in this in the first place. There's so many questions that I almost demand to hear the answers to. Oh, man. It, and, oh, you'd think, but trust me, it gets worse from here. Yeah, somehow it gets worse. So, the next week... Triple H comes down to the ring and puts a chair in the middle of the ring and has a sit-down interview with a mannequin dressed in a cheerleader's uniform and proceeds to almost be kind of like a ventriloquist providing the voice for Katie Vick claiming how Kane killed her. And, oh, you think that's bad? Ladies and gentlemen, we are getting to the absolute worst part and the thing oh, that WWE... We, arrived. we have arrived to the absolute worst part and the thing that WWE have tried to scrub away from their history. Triple H performs a skit where, dressed in a cane mask and a cane t-shirt, proceeds to enter a funeral parlour. And there, in the grave, on the coffin I should say, is one Katie Vick. Or the mannequin of Katie Vick. Triple H, as Kane, has inhibitions. And they take over as he strips butt naked and proceeds to have intercourse with the mannequin in the coffin. Um, we at the Sweet Chinwag podcast would like to reiterate for those who don't watch wrestling like, like we do. Wrestling is really, really weird. And the coup de grace to all of this was Triple H holding some guts and saying, I screwed your brains out. It's just like... You know what? What do you, what do you say to that? <laughs> Other than just, what were you thinking? Oh God, why? Please no. And this is going to end badly. It's impressive to me that, you know, when you're a child, you don't really register stuff. <laughs> but it's impressive to me, like, you actually saying that out loud is kind of made me go, oh, wow, that's that's worse than I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. To quote everyone on Squared Circle and Brian Zane, that was one of the moments, I think, as a wrestling fan, we all were like, why do we like WWE? <laughs> it was definitely one of those moments that's going to make you question everything you've ever loved. Yeah, <laughs> that's a that's a real long that's a real existential. <laughs> like thinking, I am on I am on this rock, using what little amount of time I have alive in the cosmic scheme of things. We are but mayflies, and I am. <laughs> to watch this man get naked 
fuck a mannequin in a coffin. <laughs> because like like here's the thing, right? We've meant we've mentioned about the whole concept of kayfabe and you know how it is these storylines playing out. But you have to think about like this is something that you're invested in and what you've had presented to you in this in this universe that is presenting as being real that a man has gone into a coffin dressed as another person and proceeded to do unspeakable things <laughs> in the full knowledge of trying to annoy the other person <laughs> yeah that's the worst part it's not even like like it's not even i am going to make best get him arrested for this obvious crime it's no 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 this is to win a wrestling match and do you think after all of that the payoff of this was arcade so miffed that he finally vanquishes triple h and reclaims the world heavyweight title and becomes the second dual champion really? no of course not at no mercy he gets clean beaten by uh, Triple H. Once again, the shovel comes out and not for Katie Vick. Oh, fuck. Here we go, people. For those of you... I think I'm going to have to do Pokedex for this one. The shovel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, also known as the golden shovel. For basically when a wrestler is buried. A.K.A. squashed. A.K.A. beaten cleanly, completely, utterly... For no good goddamn reason. Except the title holder themselves. Except the yeah. title themselves. Um, yeah. What's really interesting about this as well is at this time, Triple H decides, uh, I guess in storyline, I guess maybe even in like creative, to dissolve the Intercontinental Championship. So, yep. for a time on Monday Night Raw, right, let's look at the beginning of the year. We had the, well, uh, the Undisputed Championship, we had the Intercontinental, Hardcore, European, and Tag Team titles. In that span, from January all the way to October, there was one singles title left. And it was the World Heavyweight Championship. See, see, this is what I'm... This, this, this is what I'm saying about WWE's incessant need for there to be one guy. It, All of a sudden, you've got rid of the Intercontinental title, which is, which for a long time was considered uh, like the workman's title. We're gonna mm. say as it was. I mean, so again, if you want, if you want Pokedex, if a workman basically just means someone that's not quite made it to the top of the card yet. Yeah. But uh, I mean, also just known as a mid carder, upper mid card. Um, it's a kind. It's kind of kind of the gateway to getting to the big super stretches of the wrestling world. Um, and all of a sudden, that title has completely disappeared. Also, yeah, intercontinental title considered the 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 basically the second best title of the in the business. If you like, you may not be the guy, but you are certainly a guy if you have the intercontinental title. Absolutely. In theory, that whether whether that is worked in practice varies on <laughs> very much so. Oh man! <laughs> right. We love the Intercontinental title, and we're not getting there. We're not going on that. 
yeah. Oh, anyway. Oh, yeah, let, I mean, I want to like a whole episode on the Intercontinental title and why objectively it's the best title in WWE. We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, November to December 2002. I want to squash these ones together because these two months are actually kind of very, very important to one another as well as kind of you don't really need to know all of the details because the details are as follows. Survivor Series 2002 played host to the first ever Elimination Chamber match, uh, which saw uh, Shawn Michaels prevail in that one. Now, if I remember, it was Triple H, Booker T, Kane, RVD, Chris Jericho, Shawn Michaels. Yeah, uh, a bloody good match as well. If you look back on it, it was... Oh, a- very, very, very good. A blooming good match. Um, the only downside, I again, was Shawn Michaels' haircut and his poo brown um, trunks <laughs> in that match. Uh, but an amazing match, and you know what? Right, cool. I think at that time, Shawn Michaels, you know, should have won that title and that match because that was the, I think that was the first match he came back after SummerSlam. So it makes absolute sense for him to win that title. Uh, Armageddon, two thousand and two, in December saw a three stages of hell match uh, where Triple H defeated HBK. Now, you're going to be surprised at this, guys. I barely remember anything of this match, if I'm honest. Uh, I barely remember anything myself. <laughs> um, I remember, like, it was a very, like, a like a, a typical, like, match between those two. It was bloody, it was a bloody affair. You know, it was a, you know, a slobber knocker. You know, to put it in uh, any better terms, it was a slobber knocker. <laughs> I'm waiting for Reardon to say, slobber knocking. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I have a Pokedex for it. Or... <laughs> slobber knocker, brackets, sea phrases said by Jim Ross. <laughs> yes, basic. Yeah. Oh, we need yeah. to update Reardon's Pokedex, uh, I think. We need to give him the Jim Ross DLC. Yes. <laughs> Listen, like, the reason I didn't say it was because it was like, if I'm going to say the word slobber knocker, I gotta make sure that I say it correct, and I don't think I can. <laughs> in such a way that I I can't get to that level. I'm not <laughs> not that good, guys. True. I mean, I tried, but I, I just ultimately failed. Uh, so we closed 2002 with Triple H once again on the mountain as world heavyweight champion, which brings us to January. I mean, we've only gotten to 2003. <laughs> like, oh man, this. I mean, it was like, I can't believe, you know, that happened in such a short space of time. Man, it's going to get juicy. And we are getting, we are getting to what probably is going to be the bulk of this episode. Um, But we will get to that in due course. January 2003. Scott Steiner returns to the WWE. Oh, God. (laughs) Watch Steiner. Scott Steiner. (laughs) The Pokedex has error when it comes to how do I how do you describe that man? Um, I describe him as every single wrestler smushed together all at once. With all but of like, the intensity. Not in a good way. <laughs> With all <laughs> the intensity of all every single wrestler mushed together. Shit, not in a good way. My god. Although all muscles, limited skill, limited brain. But I... the, the chain <laughs> And sunglasses look 
shouldn't work but does. That's all I Yeah, do. somehow he made it work. I don't know how, though. <laughs> I mean, all right, to be technical, he did actually make his debut at Survivor Series because uh, I remember specifically on camera they caught him uh, shouting, Give me a fucking mic! Yeah. <laughs> Boy. Uh, you know what? Like, Steiner's nuts. I, uh, but good God, I can't help but love Scott Steiner uh, as, as a tangent. Oh, yeah. And I think oh, yeah. this, this return kind of exemplifies Scott Steiner's insanity. So he comes to Raw after weeks of triple, uh, or sorry, of Eric Bischoff and Stephanie kind of trying to butter him up to what brand, uh, what their brand of who he should sign to. But, you know, goes to Raw, immediately put into the uh, uh, main event picture to challenge Triple H for the World Heavyweight Championship at that year's Royal Rumble. Now, if you remember the build-up to Royal Rumble, you remember that they had some of the weirdest, weirdest segments in the lead-up to a world title match. Do you remember the pose-off pose off contest yep. that they both yep, had? the pose-off. <laughs> the Was this the one that also had the push-up contest? The push-up contest, yep. And they had, like, fans attack Scott Steiner for some yeah. reason. And the arm wrestling match leading oh, up yeah. to yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and you think, all right, it's weird, but they're building Scott Steiner up to be, all right, this dominating guy, maybe, just maybe, he could be the one to kind of take this long title reign off of Triple H. And then Royal Rumble happens. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear Lord, what can I say about this? I mean, like, it was a botchy mess of a match that surprisingly yeah. wasn't triple h's fault <laughs> i'll reiterate botch what? steiner <laughs> with royal rumble matches man <laughs> something about them like that i all if they weren't some of them being consistently some of the greatest matches some of the having some of the most greatest consistent moments You'd almost want to throw the whole concept away because that is such a, it's such a wolf pit for <laughs> fans. Yeah, because it, it's it's a because it's a um it's a match heap built upon two things: getting thrown out a ring and entrances. <laughs> two moments. If you do either of them wrong, it can be like. The, and the worst part is because like if you get one wrong at the wrong time, the fans will shit on it for the rest of the goddamn match. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Unless you botch both, in which case it somehow goes over. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> unless, unless... I'm thinking of one very specific person, but I won't mention his name. But unless you botch getting thrown over the ring and then it turns out that you've both landed at the same time and it's actually there we go there we go <laughs> you kind of fucking love it it's such a cool moment <laughs> do you tear both quads trying to get into the ring absolutely that, i mean you, you you think to yourself what's one way i can top kevin nash fuck it i'll break both of them at the same time <laughs> but you'd be surprised to know gentlemen the scott steiner won this match <laughs> He won via DQ. He did. Um, oh, okay, that seems right for him. Yeah. Wait, back the fuck up. How did he do that? I can't remember. <laughs> oh, this. 
nice segue here in for me to to, to to go in so it was around this time that uh triple h and flair who were in cahoots for the for you know since you know flair interrupted and they started forming that relationship they were beginning a brand new faction and they saw potential yeah. in a ma young man named randy alton and this dominant monster of a guy called batista and they form what we now know as evolution Randall, Kenneth, and Dave. <laughs> and uh, uh, if you look in the history, it was originally supposed to be Mark Jindrak, but uh, apparently Triple oh. H was having none of that. He wanted Dave, and for some reason, Vince wanted Mark Jindrak. I mean, like, Triple H made a very, very good decision, honestly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he did. If, 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 if anything from this time, that was probably one of the good decisions Triple H ever made. Probably, yeah. <laughs> God bless Batista and Randy Orton got better. <laughs> <laughs> so, this leads to uh, in February 2003, No Way Out sees a rematch from the Royal Rumble. Uh, Steiner loses this time with members of Evolution interfering to give Triple H the W. A definitive stamp. There you go. Steiner's lost. Triple H is champion. We are never Steiner's bringing Steiner. Steiner's lost, but like at the same time, it kind of gave that push for evolution, and it's like, okay, this is a thing to be like taken seriously yeah. now. Yes. That was the only one where I can kind of understand the booking. If you're gonna do that, and you're gonna have like fucking Ric Flair mm. in the stable, you kind of need that to be important. So he gets, he gets one. He gets, <laughs> he gets just the one. Just the Thank one. Thank you, Spidey. <laughs> and 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 I'm I'm so glad it's just the one. Because around this time, Booker T wins a battle royal on Raw, becoming the number one contender for the World Heavyweight title at WrestleMania 19. Which leads us in to March 2003. Now, I am not going to give you the cliff notes of this just yet. I am going to let Reardon start off with a general one sentence summation of this time as a wrestling fan, and as a black person. Reardon, one sentence, please, and I will let you have... I will let you have the honours after I've finished the cliff notes. The only word that I can think of for all of this is disgrace. <sighs> disgrace. Ah... <sighs> I'm gonna let you do it. I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let you get through this, <laughs> and then I will get it all off of my chest. <sighs> so, so let's please. start Go the ahead. build up and the road to WrestleMania. Some of the most infamous promos <clears throat> aired on Monday Night Raw, and oh, would yeah. you believe it? It began with probably one of the most infamous and one of the most played back promos the people like you don't get to be champion promo i apologies apologies for repeating that but it has yeah, to be said for the context it's it, it has to be said in the context situation and let's just put it like this there is a whole lot to unpack, unpack in that statement there's a whole lot to unpack in that promo not least the uh the comments that come before it setting up that line um, and not least given the uh, context of how it's presented in the ring. 
Yeah. Um, Given the fact as well, uh, when he was saying that, Triple H was looking Booker T, Booker T up and down, like giving him the side eye up and down while saying that. Um, was someone in the ring with him when he said that as well? Uh, I think Flair was in the ring with him, I yeah. Because I think Ric Flair was in the ring with him as well. So what you have in this context is you have uh, two white people, um, one of whom is the champion, and the other one who is a well-regarded person in the company, um, looking at a black man and saying, people like you don't get to be champion. Uh, as I said, we'll let, we'll let Reardon have his full commentary in a moment, but there is so much to unpack. Now, before before we do it, I will, I will, I don't want to say be fair, but I will say this. Triple H is meant to be the bad guy. Absolutely. And it's important for what comes later. Please continue. So, it's it's been stated later that Triple H actually meant to say that people that people uh, were well, the WCW champions like Booker, David Arquette and Vince Russo could never be WWE champion. You know, he at that, at that same promo, he called WCW a joke, you know, despite him holding the big gold belt and having Ric Flair right next to him. Uh, um, sense, which he could have gotten away with if not for... Oh, well, well, we'll get to that. <laughs> we will get to that. But uh, later... Actually, I think it was in an, like a like a, an interview uh, later. I think it was the next week. Triple H would elaborate that Booker's criminal past was part of the reason he said people like you, as well as his he was there to entertain and dance for people like Triple H. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh boy. I, I really want it to be my time, but I know it is. Is it my time yet? No, not yet, because, you know, if, if, th if that wasn't implied racism before, oh boy, the next week definitely was. Because uh, in that next week's Raw, uh, Booker, in a little seg backstage segment, Booker cornered Triple H in a changing room bathroom, to which Triple H then threw a dollar bill at him and told Booker to get him a towel. Which, now, one of the things I will say was a good thing here is, in character-wise, Booker beat seven bells of crap out of him after he said that. Uh, probably the best part of the feud, if you ask me. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> of this little feud here. So the go-home show of Raw uh, sees Booker pin Triple H in a non-title tag match. Now, this is planting the seeds of Booker's triumph at the grandest stage. This kind of, oh, well, this has got to be it. You know, this rags to riches storyline they've been building up. The only logical decision they could make, or booking decision, is Booker winning the title. Because at the same time, Booker, after, after such a prolonged period of what happened at the invasion, his prior booking at that point, Booker was white hot. I would say he was as white hot as Van Damme was at the time he went for the world title. Like, Booker was popular as heck at this time. And I think, you know what? Put the title on him. He would probably, you know, he would run with it and become a great, you know, babyface champion. Then WrestleMania 19 happened. Like, then WrestleMania 19 happened. Like, 
it was a good match. It is objectively in like a sea of really good matches in that like pay per view. Which, by the way, I would say is a very underrated WrestleMania, like in the grand scheme of things. But yeah. it was a good match only up until the point of the finish. Like, for some bizarre reason, <clears throat> Triple H pedigrees Booker T, and then they just lay there for 30 seconds. Yeah, there's like a good maybe minute of time between the <laughs> finisher and the pin. <laughs> like, now, Wrestling 101 states that if you wait that long you are going to kick out of that move yeah but booker doesn't and triple h gets the win like I d- <clears throat> ah, ah. There's, so, there's so much to say about this not least the fact that the finish goes against like entire wrestling precedent and practice mm. and not least the fact and not least the fact that you have Booker T losing, which I'll be honest is one of the weirdest, most confusing booking decisions I think you could make in context. Because like I don't know what way you could make it finish worse other than like if it got ruled like a no contest or a draw or something. Mm. But and... even then, you'd at least set up a rematch. But exactly. basically what you have is you have this guy who's made all these comments and they've clearly shown that like this guy is the worst of the worst mm. and he's won. And on the biggest stage as well. Yeah. Which which kind of defies logic of WrestleMania if you ask me. Yeah. I think it's my time now. I'm so yeah, it's your time. Yeah, Reardon, if you would do the honours, sir. Okay. Now, before I do like what I was going to say, you missed one. You missed the comment, Sam. You didn't make the comment that I thought you were going to do, actually. Oh, I think I know what one you're talking about. He did, because he did say something about people like you don't want to be champion. And he added, with your nappy hair. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't want to say it, but yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, oh god. No. Okay, <laughs> let's go. Let's get into it. Wrestling, like many other things in life, is has has a history of being extremely fucking racist. We <laughs> know it. I know it. You know it. There's no one that can deny it. Yeah. From way back in the day when you had people flying confederate flags at, at at black wrestlers to arguably right now where you have two the two top japanese female wrestlers going on as the kabuki warriors yes i know they wanted to do it it's still weird and it's still awkward but booker t specifically for me, and I've mentioned this to you guys before, I will probably mention it a thousand times. Of all the wrestlers out there, Booker T is one of my heroes. You didn't see it. You didn't see a black wrestler at that height do, do the stuff he did at that time. You just didn't. There wasn't that many. And he was so good besides 
The scissor kick is one of the most simple yet effective and beautiful finishing moves I've seen. Mm. The spin Rooney is awesome. <laughs> if you see it, it is hype. Yes. He has, he has one of the greatest top 10 moments in wrestling. The, the shopping card fight with Steve Austin, <sighs> one of the greatest moments in wrestling history. A yep. moment I have watched repeatedly and never gets old. <laughs> yeah. Me and my friends all screaming five time, five time, five yeah. time, five time, five time champion. Five time, five time, five time world heavyweight champion and the two time, two time WWE Hall of Famer. He is honest to God. As a young black wrestling fan, seeing him do his stuff, heel or face, it was it me it, I can't I can't explain how much that meant to me. I can't explain it. And it happened again with Kofi. Jesus Christ, we can get into that, but we won. Yeah. <laughs> As it felt like nothing had changed. Mm. With this, I almost, almost could have had Triple H get away with it. He is the heel. He is an asshole. He is meant to be that. But if you're gonna go that way, Booker T has to win. He has to win. Because if you don't have him win, it makes it seem like everything that Triple H did was okay. And it wasn't. And it's not. It's a disgrace that it happened. It's a disgrace that he, that to my knowledge, he never got at least a rematch. Nope. No, never did. Disgrace because you don't have that happen in WrestleMania, your flagship pay-per-view. And to make matters worse, having him lie down for what seems like an eternity after the finisher makes it seem like he literally just cannot hack it. He got knocked out mm. by the villain and won basically cleanly. <sighs> Fuck that. Fuck you. I don't well, I don't know. I don't know what they were thinking. I don't care what they were thinking. It. I have never forgiven them. I don't think I ever will. And oh my god. Yeah, I think one of the mm. most telling things is that if you go back and watch the match, I think you'll see that even the people in the crowd are confused. Yeah, there was like stun. I, I, I don't want to say stunned silence, but there was just silence to that result because it's just like but why though <laughs> that's that's that, that's literally the the entire crux of it it's, it's why it didn't have to happen that way it shouldn't have happened that way and i i may you could make an argument we'll probably make an argument next week but for me on a personal level it is the absolute lowest point in the reign of terror it's the worst one of the worst moments I can think of in WWE history. And WWE has had a lot of fucking awful moments. Mm. 
No, I, I agree with you in that sense. For me, looking back on it, yeah, the cane thing's awful, and it is the one of the one of the low points. But the whole Booker T thing for me is my my in my perspective the lowest point of this one. I mean, like in in the context of it, I look on like the whole cane thing. I'm like, you know what? That was a, that was in bad taste, bad decision, but you know. They probably thought that this was going to be some kind of crazy thing and that would garner a lot of heat, regardless if it was go away or heal. It's but just... I just can't understand this. Yeah. I just can't understand it. Yeah, and I, mean, I don't, I don't see that... the place that it comes from. Yeah, Katie Vick is stupid. It's a stupid idea. But it's not an evil idea. I consider what happened to Book T to be pretty much evil. Mm. A, like a serious goddamn slap in the face. I think Absolutely. it's incredibly sneaky, sneakily evil as well with the way they were kind of implying it, pretending to imply it, but really it was in your face what they were doing. And it is... it's the the worst part is what happens next. After that, you would have think, oh, rematch. Brill. Like, April, the next pay-per-view, called Booker gets his rematch. These two months are the most uneventful months of the Reign of Terror. And I'll tell you why. They were very, very forgettable pay-per-view matches with a mini-feud with Kevin Nash. One of these matches was being a Hell in a Cell with Mick Foley. I believe it was Mick Foley as guest referee. That's yep. it. That's literally all I've got. I barely remembered that Kevin Nash and Triple H had this rivalry. I remember specifically Kevin Nash having this weird, weird flat top haircut because he had just come off of playing the Russian in The Punisher. Um, oh, yeah. He did do that, didn't he? But seriously, that's it. Like, I can't really elaborate more on that because I completely forgot these two had a rivalry. Yeah, I didn't. I honestly didn't know <laughs> that's how memory yeah. we did not know that <laughs> it's just that is just telling as anything of of that little period of time in 2003 of the reign of terror um just how low it got just it's just the bearing all of that everything morally and ethically it's such a waste of talent. I understand. I understand the inv how the invasion happened because the invasion was happened as a kind of a locker room morale boost. Because as as much as you hate hate you hate the um the reason for it, you can understand it. For better or worse, yeah, those guys that came in from WCW were out to put these guys out of jobs at least mm. like or at least having to make them come crawling to their side <laughs> i can understand it i can understand doing what they did in that context despite thinking it's a real waste of talent but you can understand that reign of terror is just the only way you can explain it is because of Triple H's power backstage. 
That's the only way to explain it. Because on a business level, it makes no fucking sense that you have some of the best people out there at the top of their game not have their shot at the title mm. properly. And not, but not, and the worst thing is, it's not even just that they don't have a shot at the title. They don't have a shot of any title. Because like you said, all the rest of the single titles are gone. <laughs> oh, man. Part. And you know what? That's the part of it I didn't really consider until like this was that no 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 there was nothing for other wrestlers to fight over to get over to show what they do it's just this one man on the top of the fucking mountain and just you just can't get to it yeah yep that's it it's one guy at the top and no one can come close to him <laughs> and, and a good and a good way to kind of segue in to this final or this summer, the summer of 2003 um, and talking everything from this invasion and WCW and all this Goldberg had, yeah. had, had debuted night after Wrestlemania 19 and was tearing through everybody, you know, The Rock Chris Jericho Christian <laughs> but this in July uh, Goldberg's rivalry started here for triple h and they both came came to a head and the original intention for this kind of build-up was to meet at the main event of SummerSlam. it was going to be a one-on-one match between goldberg and triple h that was the original intention in this build-up but when goldberg refused to replace triple h i believe on an on australian tour due to a groin injury hunter had sustained earlier in the month the match was replaced with the second ever Elimination Chamber match as a way to kind of punish Goldberg. Yeah. So, you've, with all with the context of that, with the Elimination Chamber, Triple H suffering groin injury, and Goldberg looking to be the guy to kind of dethrone him, Goldberg being the last to enter the Elimination Chamber match, speared through everyone, leaving only him and Triple H. Who do you think would have won? Goldberg. Just when everything looked in Goldberg's way, Triple H clocks him right in the head with a sledgehammer as he goes for a spear and retains the World Heavyweight Championship. I don't know why you'd expect anything less. Like <laughs> This is when Triple H was wearing those weird like three-quarter length shorts as well to cover up his groin. Like he was wearing these oh weird god. like biker shorts. Oh my god, I remember I know the exact thing that you're talking about, and I can't believe I've forgotten that point. <laughs> uh, I I've forgotten that for a reason. Jesus Christ! Right, thoughts and feelings. Actually, did you have you guys seen this chamber match? Because yeah. it's 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 a weird one. It is a very weird one. Is this the one with the most disgusting spear with Chris Jericho? Is that the one? Yes. Yeah. Ah, ah. Then yeah, I know it. <laughs> yeah, it was a. It's it tends to be a lot more forgotten than the first one. I feel except I know everyone definitely knows the finish of this match for sure and yeah. the gruesome as heck spear that goldberg did to jericho man i know people say like uh no one does spear like goldberg and i'm like yeah that's because he actively like it's a it's a it's a shoot spear so yeah. this man was a linebacker in the nfl of course it's going to be a shoot spear 
before I before I yeah Pokedex shoot real basically there's a any dude. anything anything off script basically anything off off script shoot or work work is on script shoot is off script there you go yep. <laughs> god yeah yeah that is a point though that like we have to preface this by saying that Goldberg was I believe either working towards being an NFL player or was in the NFL briefly. For the Atlanta Falcons, he was. Atlanta I think it was Falcons. two seasons. Yeah. And then there was something like he got injured and then someone, someone someone in wrestling spotted him at a gym and then was like, yeah, you should become a wrestler. And then like, it kind of became a recurring thing that whenever he did spears, they were basically just NFL tackles. <laughs> <laughs> and every time they looked like it hurt a lot. Yeah, if you've judged from anything anyone that's ever said in their autobiographies or mentioned anything about Goldberg, they will all say that that spear hurt like an MNF. Uh, <laughs> I mean, speaking of someone who has been shoot speared in his life, they're not nice. They're not nice at all. <laughs> Definitely not. Right, but this isn't the end of the Goldberg and Triple H saga. No, no, no. Jesus. September 20, 2003. It continues, and the following stipulation is set at Unforgiven. Should Goldberg be unsuccessful, he must leave the WWE. Oh my god, it's a lose leaves town match, wasn't it? It was indeed. Um, the match at Unforgiven... Sorry, I'm sorry, back the fuck up. Uh, Didn't he... Like, Correct me if I'm wrong with this time with the timeline here. Mm. Oh, he enters that year... And he's already in a loser leaves town match. Yes. Oh fuck. Okay. Yeah. Now remember the context as well. This is a nice little bit of context as well for that. Remember that Goldberg had only signed a one-year contract with the WWE. Right. So I'm guessing they kind of wanted to get, almost in a sense, I guess, butter him up and see if he would ha- extend it or if he would pretty much just leave at the end of Mania. Uh, now we know what he did, of course. Yeah. But it's weird that we're trying to cram every, like an entire career arc for Goldberg in that one year when you look back at it. Mm. It's strange. But I guess if, you know, needs be and you want to have one of the, the, the biggest star of WCW at that time, you better get everything in in one fell swoop and splurge it everywhere, I guess. But... Believe it or not, Goldberg actually won this match, and in really yep. convincing fashion, surprisingly, which thus ended 280 days of Triple H being World Heavyweight Champion. And then that was it, and we all lived happily ever after, right, Sam? In the words, in the words of Dean Ambrose, nope. <laughs> this is only the beginning. <laughs> oh... Because we get to the final chapter of Volume 1, November to December of 2003. Can I just say quickly, it's insane to think about this section and think this is only Volume 1 and we've covered <laughs> January 2002 all the, way to, all the way to December 2003. Yeah. <laughs> yep. This I've, I've heard to like a wrestling slasher movie, you think he's dead? <laughs> nope. They're just, all right, in the words of, uh, in, in the words of Pacino, they just pour me back in. Yeah. <laughs> so, after a, an unsuccessful rematch to regain the title from Goldberg, 
uh, Kane, for some bizarre reason, has been entered into uh, the mix. Yes. And a triple threat match has set for Armageddon. Kane, That's Triple weird. H, and Goldberg. What a weird-ass title card. What a trio. Yeah. <laughs> That's weird as fuck. Yeah, remember at this time, I believe at this time, uh, Kane... Uh, Kane was unmasked, wasn't he? I want to say, yeah. I want to say... I he was. I believe he was. Yeah, I could have sworn by 2002 he was unmasked. I might be wrong. Um, Yes, he was unmasked. So the, he was going through his, uh, like, pure uh, psychopath gimmick at this point. And it's weird to think about it, but at that time... Kane was pretty over. I mean, given that, you know, he, d during that time, he had, you know, burnt Jim Ross, set him alight yeah. on fire, you know, was had that amazing entrance when he was, like, surrounded by security guards and shackled, um, and, you know, proceeded to electrocute Shane McMahon's balls. Kane was pretty, pretty over at this time. So, it, but I feel like at this time, I remember watching this, it almost seemed too artificial for him to just suddenly be slotted in the world heavyweight title picture. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for one day, he was over, I mean, having a fucking boss-ass slow chemical as your theme. Is, yes. Is, that is true. Yes. Know. His best theme, don't at me. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I can, I can, I can agree. But, yeah, it is weird. But then again, like, it's weird and yet it isn't. Because like, isn't I think Kane the the has the most appearances in Raw of any wrestler in history? Yes. So it it tracks, you know, with, <laughs> with the statistics on the side, and it's statistically it's gotta be Kane. <laughs> to quote Scott Steiner, the numbers don't lie. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there's not really much again it's it's a bit of a damp squib really to mend on because it, there's not a lot to kind of highlight in this triple threat match it's a bog standard triple threat match if i'm honest um yeah uh, with you know with the good guys and the bad guys and after interference from evolution triple h gets the w and recaptures the world heavyweight championship so, so I think volume two, we're going to be hearing that a lot. <laughs> now, back to square one. So yes, ending 2003, the same way he did in 2002, on top of the mountain of world wrestling entertainment and everyone being annoyed at it. <laughs> Thus concludes volume one of the Reign of Terror. I did not, like, even though, like, you sent us the timeline... I did not really perceive about how much of this is, was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> For the f Jesus. So, like, the, the, the mid-break conclusion <laughs> for this, because we ain't done, folks. Not by a long shot. <laughs> Jesus. Like, this is a... Like... You will hear a lot from a lot of wrestling fans, hardcore wrestling fans, and casual wrestling fans at that time, saying this was 
a difficult time to be a wrestling fan. And yeah. it was. And it really, really was. I think this is why this is a big contributing factor, I believe, in my opinion. You know, so, you know, don't take my opinion as gospel, everyone listening. This was a big reason as to why SmackDown is so revered at this time compared to Raw. Yeah, I'd agree. I know it, it, it really, really is. And that's not taking anything away from the SmackDown 6. I think, if anything, that just adds to the fact that's why SmackDown was universally, for hardcore fans, better than Raw. Uh, but Triple H being on top of that mountain certainly helped. <laughs> you know, for me, listening to all this, and probably especially once we get to Volume 2, it has a real the more things change kind of vibe to me. <laughs> yeah. Like, wow, so these lessons still haven't been learnt, huh? <laughs> cool, 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 cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So, in the next episode, we will be uh, concluding this with The Reign of Terror Volume 2, 2004 to 2005. Uh, again, not as weird not as weird as 2002 and 2003 but there is a lot again, a lot to unpack in this year um, Who do we look forward to, Sam? Who do we got to look forward to? We have got Randy Orton Chris yeah. Benoit and Shawn Michaels Oh god <laughs> The conclusion the conclusion of Shawn Michaels of the Shawn Michaels rivalry and the the light at the end of the tunnel known as Batista <laughs> I love that your mic cut out as you did that, Reed. <laughs> yeah, it was incredible. The cut really helped sell it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that concludes this episode. We do, we will have socials soon enough. I will try and see if I can get like an email sorted, and we'll get socials sorted. So at every end of every episode, we'll put that there. So you know, we'll have socials here at sweet chinwag but don't take that at please because you're we, you, need, we need that at <laughs> let me just steal it right now <laughs> <laughs> but uh i i'm 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 assuming this is where we end so we will be yep. we, we will continue next episode with the reign of uh, terror volume two but until then i have been sam this has been dan and reardon and this Ooh. has been the sweet chinwag podcast we will see you next time Bye. Next time. Bye.